Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Get Up by Pastor Sean Wood. I'm going to pray and then we'll come around God's word. Father, I thank you that you are faithful and I thank you for your hand of faithfulness upon all of us as a church. I pray this morning because I believe you have a word for each one of us. I pray that our ears would be open and our hearts would be open. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And Father, I stand here this morning as just your servant. I, I pray, keep me from error. I pray, Lord, that you would use me in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Now, most people that are following Facebook are going to realise, hang on a second, Pastor, you ripped us off here. This isn't the message that was advertised on Facebook, and it's not. Um, I, I did, uh, I assure you that I had, I had a nice fluffy message for us to come back to. I really did. <laughs> and so I've shortened it and cut it and shut it. And that's, that's what I want to share tonight, which is, uh, does anybody want God to breathe in their life? Then you need to come tonight and we'll talk about how that happens. But um, over the last few months, God has done an enormous number on me. I don't know about you guys. I've been here on my own, so it's just been, it's just been me and the guy who's a fisher of nothing. But, um, <laughs> hey, I t- and I couldn't do it when he was here on his own because he turned the camera off. But uh, some people have asked me, "What's going to be different about church after coronavirus?" What a great question. I think it's time for the church to be different. And you'll notice I've, I've titled this this morning, Why I No Longer Pray for Revival. Uh, before you put an ad in the paper looking for another pastor, <laughs> um, uh, allow me to explain. I, I no longer, I, I'm no longer praying for revival. And it's a pretty big move for me because I'm a big revival fan. I believe that nothing's going to happen in this city without God. I still believe that, by the way, and I'll unpack it as we go along. But I began to think about everything, the coronavirus and all that has happened, what it has done to the church. I mean, the church has moved into a completely different space. Uh, A lot has happened in people's lives, and I believe God has done an amazing work in the hearts and lives of people. But as I'm praying for revival, I started to realise, you know what, God, if revival means revive us back to what we were, then I don't want it. 1517, there was a little German monk by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was tired of the religious system. You see, Catholicism in those days, still heresy today, by the way, but Catholicism in those days was all about uh, you had to work for your salvation, all about ordinances, all about ceremony. And Martin Luther's reading through the Bible and he's going, this isn't what church is supposed to be. Stumbles upon verses like, the righteous shall live by faith, revolutionises life. And what happened in the 1500s, what what God did through Martin Luther wasn't a revival, (laughs) it was a reformation. We don't need revival in the church, we need reforming. You see, uh, and I promised I was going to be fluffy this morning, but it's kind of gone out the window. You see, church has become all about Church has become too much of a corporation. I don't know how much we're going to let this seep through on the video just yet. Church has become too much... We don't have pastors anymore. We have CEOs. 
Once upon a time, Tozer points to this beautifully, once upon a time we had prophets behind the pulpit, now we have scribes. You see, the difference between a scribe and a prophet is a scribe will tell you about the God they've heard of and they've learned about in a book. <laughs> a prophet will tell you about what they've seen and experienced. The language in church has changed. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the language has gone to, uh, uh, as long as we get our 7% increase in every area. And, and it's okay, God, we're going to touch on this in a moment. And it's okay, God, we, we've, we've got this, you know. We'll, you know, church is easy, God. We've got this all mapped out. We'll, we'll, we'll just throw a heap of money at some talented worship leader. We'll find some flashy preacher and, you know, it'll all work out. We've got the system worked out and, and we'll just bang up some more lights and we'll, we'll just put on a bigger performance and they'll come. And, and, and you know what? We might even change the gospel. <laughs> How dare you? You know what Paul said to the Galatians? He said, if anyone comes to you with the gospel other than what we brought to you, let them be accursed. Since when was the gospel all about how you can park your plane in the backyard of your $20 million ranch because you need it to be able to preach? Excuse me, Ravi Zacharias, the most sought-after speaker on the planet, travelled commercial. He didn't have his own plane. When was the gospel of Jesus all about a bless me club? When was, when was church all about, I just have to come on Sundays and fill up my tank? When did that start? Mm, it never left. You see, church has become inward focused. And so my prayer has become, you know what, God... Uh, we don't need revival, we need reformation. We wonder why we don't have the presence of God in our churches. We wonder why we're not impacting the communities. You're not going to do it on your, on your own. You can have all the flashy programs. We can, we can have all the ABCs and one, two, threes that we like, but we're not going to impact the community unless it's done by the power and the presence of God. It's not going to be done by our programs. It's not going to be done by our systems. We can build as big a buildings as we like. We can preach life coach messages all we like, but it doesn't change anybody's hearts. Only the gospel does and only the power of God. And I was reading an interesting passage of scripture, which is found in Joshua chapter 7. Uh, deeply appreciative of Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias writes a book called Jesus Among Secular Gods. <laughs> if you haven't read it, please do yourself a favour. And in that book, he attacks the isms of our current culture. Let me explain. He, he challenges things like atheism and scientism and pluralism and relativism. And there's one that's become really popular today. Relativism can be summed up like this. It's feet planted firmly in midair. It's all about what's good to me and what's true for me and and so Ravi writes a book, but I, this morning I want to speak about the isms that have crept into the church. Conservatism. It's just a flashy word for we want to put God in a box. <laughs> we just want to put some parameters around God and God, you can move on conservatism. Pentecostalism. Church is all about getting drunk in the spirit. Some of the people I've seen on YouTube are drunk, but I don't know which spirit. How about consumerism? When was church all about what you can get out of it? That's not what church was in the book of Acts. That's not what church was when Jesus was here. Jesus was all about an avenue. And reading about the people of God in 
in the book of Joshua, we know what happens we, before we get to chapter 7. We know that Moses hands over the reins to Joshua and at last, the people of God enter the promised land. They cross the Jordan. Just an FYI, the Jordan in full flood was about a kilometre wide when they crossed it. A bunch of people that couldn't swim. They get to the other side and as you find in your spiritual walk, you ever notice that there's always enemies to defeat? You ever notice that? They get across the other side. They come across a city by the name of Jericho. We all know about the city of Jericho, don't we? And they march around the walls and the walls of Jericho fall down. Then we come to chapter 7. And here it is again, Terry. We don't get too far before we're talking about some buts. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regards to the devoted things. Uh, that but is enormous because that's an enormous contrast for the people of God. Israel has gone from conquering. Israel has gone from reliance on God. Israel has gone from this enormous victory. Now there's a but. But what? But Israel, the people of Israel, broke faith. And please understand that there's no mistake here. It's the people of Israel that have broken faith. God hasn't deserted them. God hasn't pushed them into a furnace for a while. It hasn't, it's not like God's trying to test them or anything like that. No, they've broken faith. What does it mean to, to break faith? He's dancing. <laughs> He's in the spirit. I can see some Deb Klein in that young man. <laughs> they broke faith. What does that mean? It means that they failed to adequately reverence, there's a huge word, reverence and worship Yahweh. And I'm not going to use that word anymore. I'm going to use the word the Lord because that's what the translators have done with that word in the Hebrew. They said, you know what? They got to that word and they said, we don't know what to do with this word. So we're just going to have Lord with a capital L. They broke faith with the Lord. They, they failed to properly reverence him. We're going to have a look at how they did that in a moment. But it's interesting what, what the enemy did in Genesis chapter 3. The language that is used in Genesis chapter 3 goes like this. Uh, we hear in 2 and 3 that it's all about the Lord, which is uh, to them it was Yahweh, this God that is close. You see, the best way to understand that for the Hebrews is he's not a God, He's not even necessarily the God. The language is he is my God. The language is that he is close and he's intimate and he's personal. That's the language that is used. Then the enemy comes along and he says something very different. He says, did God, with a capital G. You see, the enemy still uses the capital G, but it's no longer the God that is close and personal and intimate. It's this far off distant God. Did God actually say? These guys have broken faith with God. It's, it's, we need to hang on to that as we move our way through. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. What are the devoted things? What's going on here? By the way, uh, we're going to find as this chapter unpacks, that it's only one guy that's got the devoted things. But the whole people of Israel are held accountable. Spooky. The, the devoted things were whenever Israel plundered a city as God had commanded them. The devoted things can also be called the accursed things. And these are the valuable treasures that they would find in other cities, but they were the, the treasures that were devoted to pagan worship. 
It's the items that may have been involved in the worship of the Canaanites or whoever it is that they're, they're plundering at the time. And they were to be devoted to destruction. That's really what the language in the Hebrew is pointing to. And devoted to destruction because what God had commanded Israel was, when you take these things, destroy them. Get rid of them. Don't let there be a trace of them. What, what happens when they fail to do that is that the, the worship of pagan gods creeps into Israel. God says, I don't want a trace of that amongst my people. But somebody decided that we're not going to devote them to destruction. We're going to sneak them in. Nothing's changed in many thousands of years. Today, I want to challenge the devoted things. We've allowed a lot of devoted things to creep into our hearts. We've, we've smuggled devoted things into our hearts. At a church level, at a leadership level, we've, we've kind of smuggled in the devoted things. Now, interestingly enough, I don't know when we ever got to this point, because Paul never uses this language, but now you are successful in church leadership, dependent upon the number of people in the congregation. Paul never says... You guys rock. You reach the 200 mark. God, Paul never says that. We've allowed what is important to us to change. We've allowed devoted things to sneak into church life. We've, we've allowed uh, the importance to be on performance. We've allowed the importance to be on programs. We've allowed the importance to be on increase and, and whatever. But at an individual level, we've allowed the devoted things to creep in. Well, you know, Pastor, uh, I'd love to be there Sunday, but you know, I have to work. And I'd love to get to life groups during the week, but I need my precious family time, whatever it is. But we've allowed other things to creep in, things that aren't necessarily on a face value bad things. We've allowed them to creep into it. We've allowed doctrine and theology to hold a more important place than reverencing the God of the Bible, sometimes, depending on where you go. It's more important. This amazes me. We're not seeing it at the moment because it's not allowed there. But AFL fans are different to rugby fans, by the way, because, you know, we play real football. But... <laughs> Rugby allowed some devoted things to sneak in by starting to throw the ball. Um, that's, that's illegal in real football. But what I've noticed, particularly about, particularly about Collingwood, you know, you can always tell a Collingwood supporter when they get up in the morning and brush their tooth. But um, you, you watch the Collingwood games and you'll notice something different about Collingwood. They're, these guys are fanatics. You see, before a match, the Collingwood guys... They're there half an hour or an hour. They're sitting in their seats. They're there before the game. Do you, know the, do you know the whole time the game's on, you can't shut them up? They're cheering. For, it doesn't matter whether Collingwood's losing or not. They don't really care. They just want an excuse to make a noise. And if the game's getting really exciting and it goes into overtime, they're not looking at their watch. They're not, they're not yelling out going, when's this thing going to be finished? And they're never in a hurry to leave. And yet, 
Sometimes on Sundays, it's like... And by the way, I, I, I need to warn you, I've got a custom to preaching for an hour, if anyone's wondering. Just, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, that's just for the introduction. But, but I wonder how many of us... I wonder how many of us are like, when's this going to be... You know, we, we don't turn up at 9.30, 9.45. And three songs and... We have this system and we have a program and we've, we've reduced God down and 11 o'clock and you can preach as long as you like, Pastor, but everybody leaves at 11. You know, it's, we've kind of got into that. I, I can remember uh, a family member uh, that, uh, when Nadine was born and we wanted, uh, Nadine was being dedicated and we wanted to go out after church for lunch and I remember saying to members of our family, hey, listen, we want to book lunch, so... Roughly what time do you think church finishes? And they said, not roughly. They said 11 o'clock. I said, yeah, but you don't start till 10. They said, no, that's right, 11. I said, but yeah, okay, but by the time we do the dedication, they went, no, no, you don't seem to understand. We finish at 11. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So we, we booked lunch for what? 12, half past 12 or something, didn't we? Thinking, oh, you know, we better allow a bit of time, better fellowship time, you know. <sighs> Ding dong, 11 o'clock, they were up, out. It was like, you... It was like clockwork. We, we, sing, we, we sang one song once. You, you never repeated a song. Um, and the, the preacher, he's got, he's got in and out in an hour. And we've put God in a box. And our prayer life, I started to look at my prayer life. We're going to get to this more in a moment, but I started to realise that my prayers sounded a bit like this. God, move. God, visit us. God, revive us. God, fill us. And I thought, hang on a second. I wonder who's got to do the moving here. I wonder whether the problem is, does God need to fill us or does God need to empty us? Is it God that's got to move? Hang on to that thought. So the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, they changed his name to Achar, which means trouble. The son of Kami, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah. I don't know why we couldn't have John, Paul, Peter, but we've got what we've got. <clears throat> of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Here's one thing we've lost, I believe. And if there's one thing that we need a reformation in, if there's one aspect that we need reforming, it's our understanding of the holiness of God. And also the understanding that the holiness of God, God's presence cannot exist in the same place as sin. That's why Jesus came. Let's keep reading. Verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. That's not artificial intelligence. It is a place. <laughs> Which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel. They actually still don't know where Ai is. Historians can't actually pinpoint exactly where it is. And said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out the land. Something's missing. I don't know whether you've picked up on it. And I don't know whether you've read the book of Joshua. But if you have, it's likely you've picked up on something's missing in the process right now. Joshua's missed something out. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up there. But let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Let, let, let me paraphrase that for you. Let me put it in the Sean Wood version for you this morning if I can. Joshua... She's good, man. We've got this. 
Don't trouble yourself. Just, we'll just send a few blokes up there to sort them out. But Joshua missed something in the process. You see, every other battle beforehand, every other turning point for Israel before this moment saw Joshua on his knees inquiring of the Lord. You'll read the same when you get to David. You'll read the same of the other prominent leaders of Israel. They inquired of the Lord. They inquired of the Lord. Joshua moved out without any mandate or word from God. Joshua didn't consult God. What's Joshua telling? The minute Joshua sends spies up to Ai, what he's telling God is, God, we've got this. You still hear this today. God, we've got this. It's all right. We've got the worship sorted. We've we've got the preaching calendar sorted. We've got the the youth ministry sorted. Everything's sorted. We've got our programs and, and everything's running like clockwork. We've got this, God. And the truth of the matter is if we go up without God, because that's what happens here. If we go up without God, they get shamefully defeated. 36 Israelites lose their life when they should have romped it in. And at the end of that paragraph, it says, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. How much of our lives today do we tell God we've got this? How many mornings do you start your day without consulting God? How many times do we start, let's be, let's be honest now, I'm, talk, I'm preaching to myself here. You guys are just an audience this morning. I'm, I've been preaching to myself for three months. So I'm just kind of contextualising this for myself this morning, but how many times do we start church without praying? How many times do we start board meetings without praying? How many times do we get the agendas out? How many times do we, how many times do, we do anything without consulting God? No divine mandate. You see, you see, we have the word of God. Now, Joshua could have stood up and said, I had a mandate from God. I was, I was told to take the promised land. But God never told him. God never gave him the mandate to go up to Ai. And we need to understand that God gives us his word as a revelation to us. Let me kind of unpack, unpack that for you a little bit. Remember when Peter was in the boat and Jesus is walking on the water? Peter wasn't the only one in the boat, by the way. And although Peter sank... Uh, give him a little bit of kudos. At least he got out of the boat. And uh, he sees Jesus coming on the water and he says to Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come to you. And Jesus gives him a word. Does anybody know what that word was? Come. When God gives you the word, friends, get out of the boat. If God doesn't give you the word, put your life jacket on. Let's read what happens now because Joshua is going to get really spiritual. Verse 6. Are you telling us we shouldn't pray, Pastor? No, hang on a moment. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Tearing your clothes, putting dust on your heads is a deep sign of mourning and grief. You see, Joshua's mourning. God has forsaken us. God's abandoned us. Here we are in the middle of this land, surrounded by enemies, and God's abandoned us. These guys are going to have a party and get rid of us. 
Joshua doesn't realise that God hasn't abandoned anybody. It's the other way round. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Interesting words. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your, our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? I love how God answers this prayer. And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. <laughs> Hang on a second. It's got to be a misprint. Because Joshua is being real spiritual now. Joshua's tearing his clothes. Joshua's covering himself in dust. Joshua's beating the earth in prayer. Oh God, you have forsaken us. Why have you done this? And God comes to Joshua and says, get up. You don't need to pray any harder, Joshua. That's not what the answer is here. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. Wait to the end of the message, please, before you put the ad in the paper. But, but what I am saying is, if we're going to pray all day and not get out and act, what God says to Joshua is get up. And I believe the message to the church after coronavirus is get up. Have a listen to what God says. This is an easy fix. This is what I love about God. There's no complicated equations here. Everything's always simple with God. We complicate it, which is interesting. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? The problem isn't how earnestly you pray. You pray. We spoke about that the other, the other week. You know, I, I used to know a guy that could pray in old King James. You know? It doesn't matter the language you use. It doesn't matter how much scripture you cram into your prayers. It doesn't matter how much you tear your clothes, Joshua. It doesn't matter how much dust you throw. What the problem is, is Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. You see, in tennis, in, if anybody watches tennis, you can't at the moment because they've all got coronavirus, but when one person hits the ball to the other side, the ball's in their court. You see, what Joshua was doing, he's, he's hitting the ball over to God's side and says, God, you're the one that's got to act. You're the one that's got to move. Where, what are you doing, God? You've let us down. You're the one that's got to make all this go away. God says, no, hang on a second. Return serve. You get up. The ball's in our court. I believe that the ball is in the court of the people of God. I believe that it's not about how often we pray or how long we pray. I don't believe it's how great our programs are or how flashy the preacher is or how many instruments we have that is the problem. I think the problem is that we have allowed the devoted things to be creeping in. God goes on and says, Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. The reason the church is in so much defeat is we can't conquer anything until God has conquered our hearts. 
You, you can't stand against your enemies. Why? Because you're clutching onto the devoted things. You're keeping those things in. You're smuggling those things in. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more. Whenever you find yourself at distance from God, ask yourself the question, who moved? I will be with you no more. And over the last few months, for me personally, not that I've been hearing God say that, but I have been hearing, if we want the presence of God, because that's what we long for in this place. Not just on Sundays, but Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. I mean, I need the presence of God on Tuesdays. You should see the office stuff. I mean, they are. If you're going to pray for your pastor, do it on Tuesday mornings. Yeah, because they need prayer for you. Yeah, okay. It was much more comfortable when the room was... No, it wasn't. (laughs) We wonder why there's no presence of God. God is the most superior, glorious king in all the universe. But I make you one guarantee, he does not and will not share territory. Does not. You want God to fill your heart? He's not going to share your heart with all the other gods you've crept in underneath. Last week, week before, when we prayed, speaking about prayer, your kingdom come. You want God's kingdom to come? He doesn't share territory. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to get the other rulers out. The interesting thing is Jesus never, never put this in the fine print. You know when you, you read something from your financial advisor, everything in the first part sounds really great. But then you read the fine print, brother. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's insurance companies and car salesmen. But, but, but Jesus never put this in the fine print. Jesus made it clear right from the outset, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross. You're going to have to die to some stuff. Jesus said, a couple of guys came to Jesus and said, we want to follow you, but just let us go back and bury our father and mother. What that means is let us go back and take care of our family things. Jesus said something very deeply profound. Jesus said, let the spiritually dead, that's the transformation, that's the translation, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. We think we're going to take our flashy programs. We think we're going to take our... A, B, C, one, two, three steps out into the world and raise the dead? Every single one of us were dead before God touched us. And every single person outside of this church that doesn't know Jesus right now is spiritually dead. And if we think we are going to be able to have any effect on that without the power of God, we're crazy. What do we do? What can we do? Well, God makes it really simple. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with them no more unless, I love God, 
Because he never, he always makes a way out. Always gives us a choice. Always beckons us to come back. Always makes a way that we can choose him. Unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And let me highlight what that looks like. Once they found out who was responsible, they got hold of Achan. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him. And we need to do that with the devoted things in our lives. We don't need to be playing with them. We don't need to dress them up. We don't need to kind of categorise them or, or put a label on them. No, no, no. You need to destroy them. Jesus put it this way. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, before you get the spoon and before you get the axe, it's not literal. What's Jesus saying? Whatever part of your life is causing you to sin is separating you from God. Make war on whatever it is that is separating you from God. Be ruthless. Be intentional. Destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, says God. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. I want to ask everybody some questions as we come to the end. Step number one is to to destroy the devoted things. I want to ask everybody here this morning, what is it that you may have smuggled into your hearts? The second one is, will you consecrate yourselves to God? Now, consecrate is a word that's not used a lot. And it kind of has... It kind of has a reference to sanctification, but sanctification is actually the outworking of consecration. Let me try and explain that for you. Sanctification is is the process, the the physical process of setting something apart. That's what the Holy Spirit's actually doing in every one of your lives right now. It's a process of setting you apart. It's setting you apart for God. Consecration is the decision to dedicate it. This morning I want to close with two questions. Have you smuggled anything into your heart? And the second one is, will you consecrate yourselves to God? God makes it very simple. Destroy the devoted things and dedicate yourself. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord. If you read the rest of the chapter, they find out that Achan's responsible. And the message that comes to us from chapter 7, is that God's presence will not exist in the same place where this sin. Friends, I no longer pray for revival. I believe God's telling us to get up. I do believe church will be different. Not just this church. I believe church life will be different. I believe God's done an amazing work. The, the news concerning church is good news. God has preserved his bride beautifully. The message is not a message that is negative. The message is a positive message. But I believe moving forward looks like getting rid of the devoted things out of our lives and out of church life. And dedicating what we do to God. Can we pray?
Father, I just want to thank you because Scripture's filled with buts, but it's also filled with the word unless. You always give us an opportunity. You always give us a chance. You always forgive us. And so I thank you for that. Father, I pray this morning that you would point to the Achans in our lives. That you would point to those point to those areas in our hearts. And Lord, that you would move every one of us to consecrate ourselves to you. Father, the message from every one of us is we yearn for your presence. We yearn to know you more. We yearn to be close to you. Your word promises if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Lord, I pray that you would draw near to us and help us to draw near to you. In your wonderful name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.